as we come to God's word, let's come in prayer. Oh, dearest God, we thank you that you've gathered us all here today in the building and watching on the live stream. And we pray, Father God, that as we come to your living word, may we come humble, ready to hear all you have to say. May we come expectant to be changed and transformed. Please speak to us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hello, everyone. Um, for, for those who don't know me, watching the live stream or here in the building, my name is Adam Curtis, and I'm the curate here at Christ Church. Um, and we're going to be spending our time in Hebrews uh, chapter 9. Um, I know our reading was chapter 9 to 10, but we're going to take it a bit further down to uh, 14 as well. So I'll just read 11 to 14 for us. So chapter 9, verse 11 to 14. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. That last verse there, verse 14. Through the blood of Christ, our consciences can be cleansed from acts that lead to death. Acts that lead to death. Heavy. Actually, as I'm meditating in, on, this, uh, on this sermon, I realize it is a heavy, it's a heavy topic. Acts that lead to death. Because as I reflect on my life and on the lives of those I know, I realize that there is a, a pandemic, which isn't just COVID. There is a pandemic of, of, of guilt. And actually, everyone can feel guilt when they look at themselves properly, when they analyze themselves properly, when they see themselves for who they are, they feel those acts which lead to death and see them within themselves. Everyone can feel guilt. A very, the very young can feel guilt when they've broken some minor household rule. The very old can feel guilt as they look back over their lives and like, did I make the right choices? The fool can feel guilt when they're like, oh, did I, have I spoken and said too much? The wise can feel guilt when they're like, did I actually not say enough? A parent can feel guilt. Was I, was I too harsh with my child? A child can feel guilt. Could I have done more to, to obey? A Christian can feel guilt. Aren't there more people I could have shared the gospel with? A lover can feel guilt. If I care for this person so much, why are my words so harsh? Everyone can feel guilt. And we can feel guilt in every place. You can be standing alone in the most beautiful location with just stunning sand under your feet and a crystal blue sea before you. And you can f find yourself asking that question, do I, do I really deserve this? You can be in a crowd surrounded by people who think you are 
absolutely hilarious and you love your company and you can ask yourself the question, if these people knew what I had done, would they still like me? Would they still laugh? There is that pandemic of guilt for all those who see themselves properly, who take time to look at themselves. And I get that, that seed of guilt which can gnaw away within us, that past act, that past word, those thoughts, those feelings, that seed which can start to slowly just consume us and, and weigh us and hold on to us. Everyone can feel guilty. Everyone does feel guilty. And what does God have to say to us in the reality of our lives, in the reality of our consciences which can be prickled by our words and our deeds and our actions, the things we have done and the things we haven't done and the things we should have done? What does God have to say to us today? Well, as we land in Hebrews chapter 9, we see in the first part from verses 1 sort of to 10, God speaking very clearly and about the reality of the human condition and the reality of human guilt. And we see this description of an Old Testament foreshadowing. An Old Testament foreshadowing. And if you look down at me in verses um, 1 to 5, we see God's sort of answer for the human condition, for the guilt of our hearts, is he, he gives us a tabernacle. A tabernacle is sort of a tent of meeting where humanity can come and meet with the living God. And in this tabernacle, which later became the temple, we read here that there are rooms. So outside the tabernacle are all the people. Then within the tabernacle, the priests are allowed to enter. So it's people, barrier, priests. And within this first room, we see down there in verse 2, you have a table and you have consecrated bread. And this is the holy place. But then you have another room. And this room is again cut off by a curtain. Another barrier, people, barrier, priests. Barrier, high priest. And the high priest can enter into this next room, this most holy place. And in this most holy place, we have this... Um, the golden altar of incense, verse 4, and the golden uh, ark of the covenant, where Aaron's rod is and the stones of the covenant are kept. And this is symbolically the place where the Lord God is, is known to dwell with his people. So we have this, this tabernacle, this tent of meeting is established. And within it is very clear that that is the, the, the structure but then verse 6 to 10 tells us exactly how it works. You have the people staying on the outside. You have the priests who are allowed to enter the holy place. But only one is allowed to enter the most holy place. Only the high priest is allowed to enter the most holy place where God is symbolically dwelling. And he's only allowed to enter once a year and only when he's been washed. Only when sacrifices have been made of goats and of calves and of bulls. Only then can he enter into this holy place. So we have people, barrier, priests, barrier, high priest. We have people, we have holy place, we have most holy place. We have this double barrier from the Lord God to all the people. And this is the tent of meeting and this exists because of our sin, our separatedness from God. And the, this, this tent of meeting... We're told why it's here in verse 9. 
This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the consciences of the worshippers. So all this structure of people, holy place, most holy place, of, of people, barrier priest, barrier high priest, once a year, sprinkled by blood, it is to illustrate that the people, they are not clean. They cannot enter. We are far from God. So this illustration, it's teaching us two things. It's teaching us that our consciences need to be clean. That this feeling of guilt, that, that seed of guilt, that overwhelming feeling of guilt, that is not just an illusion. That is not something we have just made up. That is not something we can just grow up out of and ignore. It is real and has to be dealt with. So the tabernacle is telling us that, that our guilt is real, our consciences need to be cleaned, and it's, secondly, it's telling us that the detergent we need is blood. The detergent we need is blood. So firstly, our consciences need to be clean. There are these, these barriers between the living God and between the people. And we're not getting through. The doorway is shut and we are held out because of our guilt. We are not getting through. And God gives us the Ten Commandments and he gives us the Ten Commandments and his law so that we have the ability to see ourselves clearly, to know ourselves clearly, to know what we're really like. So when we read the law, we can understand ourselves. And we read in the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not murder and we see this image of an individual with a knife in hand, and we see that act of murder, and we understand that act of guilt. But Jesus, when he comes in the Sermon on the Mount, he pushes it further. He says that actually this act of murder is not simply an individual with a knife in hand standing over their victim. An act of murder is also the daggers which can come from our very lips, the words which we use to bring the people around us down so that we're in control and they become nothing. This, he says, is also murder. This is the reality of our hearts. This is why that guilt isn't just over some grand acts of knife in hand. That guilt niggles away because of the very words in which we say. Our consciences need to be cleansed. And they need to be cleansed by the detergent of blood. Now we hear that blood is meant to clean us, and we're like, how on earth is that going to work? You get blood into something, and you're like scrubbing it clean. Blood's not going to clean. Surely not. But blood makes sense. Blood makes sense when we realize the reality of what we are guilty of. When we realize the reality, the seriousness of our sin. In Romans we are told that the penalty for sin is death. And if we want that penalty to be dealt with, well, then we need someone to die for us. We need someone to bleed for us. We need that substitute. But this, this is an illustration of the people, barrier, priests, barrier, high priests, of the holy place and the most holy place. This is but an illustration which teaches us something. It is useful and it is good, but it doesn't achieve it. This is an Old Testament Jewish foreshadowing of the New Testament Christian fulfillment which we saw in verses 11 to 14. As we see here in verses 11 to 14, we see how this New Testament fulfillment is achieved. 
actually this verse 11, this, this earthly tabernacle before us, it is but a copy of the heavenly one. And because it is but a copy of the heavenly one, when Jesus comes along to be the high priest, he isn't acting out this entrance into the most holy place in the copy. He is acting it out in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly tabernacle. And because he is acting it out in the heavenly tabernacle, it is not simply that God is symbolically there with his people. God is literally there with his people. So Jesus is entering that holy place in the reality of the holy place in heaven itself. But in heaven, Jesus doesn't just enter through the blood of goats, through the blood of bulls. He enters through a better blood, through his own blood. And his blood is better than goats and than bulls because the blood of goats and bulls, well, it can cleanse you on the outside, but it can't cleanse you on the inside. It doesn't go deep enough. We need a better blood to cleanse us. As we've seen over the last few weeks with all the football which has been going on, it would be ridiculous to substitute one of our players for a goat or a bull. You need to substitute a human for a human. We needed a human. We needed a human's blood to wash us and to cleanse us. We needed a better substitute than goats and then bulls. But we didn't need someone like us who murders with a knife in their hand, with daggers upon their lips. We needed someone who was pure and who was blameless and who was good and who was radiant and who was selfish and who was wonderful and who was perfect and who was spotless and who was unblemished. We needed Jesus Christ. We needed him and we needed his blood because it was only with that blood that we can be cleansed. Only with this detergent which goes deep enough. And when we are cleansed by the blood of Christ, by this detergent, then we are as white as snow. And all these acts that we have done, all these acts which we feel in our hearts and know of our minds, they're washed. And our souls are cleansed. The penalty for sin is death. And Jesus has paid that penalty for us. This means that all those promises of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, of the tabernacle, of the, of the holy place and the most holy place, of the people, barrier, priests, barrier, high priests, all, all of that, all what this illustration was teaching us, all that this was promising us is a yes and an amen in Jesus Christ. Suddenly, we're able to live as we are meant to live. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. This salvation has a purpose. Suddenly we are able to serve the living God. Suddenly we are able to to take hold of the promise of, of that future inheritance and know for certain and for sure that all who trust in Jesus will be with Christ in that new creation. So this passage has told us about this Old Testament foreshadowing, about the New Testament fulfillment, and it leads us onto that present day flourishing. 
And why is this truth going to lead us into present day flourishing? Well, because if you know your guilt is gone, your consciences are cleansed, then you are able to flourish. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the film The Lion King. I love The Lion King. It was my favorite Disney growing up. Maybe you've watched it yourself growing up or, or watched it with kids or grandchildren. But you have this wonderful scene. So you've got Simba, who's sort of the, the, the main lion, and uh, he is overridden by guilt because he believes that he, has, he is responsible for his father's, Mufasa's, murder and death. And because he believes he's responsible for Mufasa's death, he is, he's run away from his pride. And he, he's, he's drawn back to come help in this great battle against the enemy, Scar. And then in this final sort of fight scene, you have, it seems like Simba has lost the day. And he's on this rock and there's a big fire underneath him and Scar's got his claws into Simba's paws and you feel like Simba has lost and it is done and it is finished and then Scar whispers into his ear that Scar was the reason that Mufasa died. And suddenly in this moment, Simba's conscience is cleansed and this moment of guilt is gone because he's not being held over that he has killed his father. And then it's like he has this supernatural sort of energy sort of flows through him and he jumps over and wins the day in this magnificent sort of fight scene, <laughs> which is a little boy I loved. But we see in Simba, in this little story, the reality that if you know that your guilt is cleansed, if you know that your conscience is washed, then you can flourish. Because the good news is, Jesus' blood has cleansed us. Jesus' blood has cleansed us. His detergent, this blood detergent, it runs deep and it washes us, every single part of us. Think about the stories we see again and again of those who come to meet the living Lord Jesus. Think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector in Luke. This tax collector, hated by all, hiding up a tree, calls out to Jesus. Jesus interacts with him. Jesus invites himself over to, over to his house. Zacchaeus is just transformed by his very interactions with Jesus. And he, and he says to Lord Jesus, in this transformation, his guilt is cleansed and he can, he can flourish. He says, look, Lord, half of all I have I will give to the poor. Because he is cleansed, he can flourish. Or think about Paul, this great murderer of the early church who went from town to town to town, stoning the early Christians and driving them out. He meets the living Lord God. He meets the living Jesus. And he is blinded by his glory. Blinded and healed and he is transformed. His past actions, his guilt is dealt with and it is done and he can flourish to serve the living Lord God. And this cleaning, it isn't just for a moment. This isn't a high priest who has to go back the next year. This is permanent and this is forever and this is complete. If you accept this detergent, then you will be clean today and you will be clean tomorrow and you will be clean next year and you will be clean on the day that you cross that finishing line, you run that race and you make it to the new creation with our Lord and the lover of our souls, you'll be clean then. There is a pandemic of guilt. And for all those who are brave enough to look at themselves, they know it. 
They see that seed within them. They know their actions, their deeds, their thoughts. They know what they should have done and what they haven't done. They know who they've hurt. There is a pandemic of guilt. And actually our society has lots of answers for guilt. Lots of ways to try and deal with it. And each of them are rubbish. Our society tells us, well, you can try and atone for your past actions. You know the evil, the wickedness of what you have done. You know those who you have hurt, so you can try and atone. Atone with these good deeds. Live this good life. Make it worth it. Have you seen the film Saving Private Ryan? And Private Ryan, as an old man, he looks at the war graves of all his friends who died to try and save him. And he's overwhelmed by this. And so he turns to his wife and he says, did I lead a good life? Did I lead a good life? Was my life good enough for this? Our society says you can try and atone for it. Or our society says you can try and justify it. Our society just screams in our faces, just be true to yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself. No matter, no matter if being true to yourself hurts yourself, no matter if being true to yourself hurts the people around you, and no matter if being true to yourself rejects all that the living God has told us out of love, just be true to yourself, justify your actions. So society tells us you can try and atone. Our society tells us you try and justify. Our society tells us you can just try and distract. And there's so many ways to distract ourselves now, aren't there? There's a music we can listen to, we can plug in and we don't have to think. Or podcasts or audiobooks. Or we can read an actual book. Or we can spend our life on YouTube. Or we can play video games. Or we can just sit in front of the TV. Or we can watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or Apple TV. There are so many ways that we can distract ourselves. Or we can just have one drink and another drink and another drink just so I don't have to think anymore. Or I can take that credit card and I can shop and shop and shop just so my life is filled with beautiful things and I don't have to face the reality of who I am and what I've done. Our society just tells us just distract yourself. You can't deal with it so distract yourself. Our society sort of tells us well if atoning doesn't work and if justifying doesn't work and distraction doesn't work well then just fall into that spiral of depression and fall into the pit and and hang your head in shame in the darkness. And no one will help you out. You just live there. But each of the ways our society has to deal with that niggling sense of guilt, with the reality of who we are and what we've done, each of them is rubbish because none of them cleanses us. None of them cleans us. None of them deals with the problem of our guilt. Only Christ, only by his blood, only by his sacrifice. Only he can make us clean. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. As we stand and as we see this truth and as we hear the living God say this to us that it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be clean we have a choice we have a choice if we have never accepted this before if we have never come to the Lord God asking for forgiveness and asking for the cleansing which Jesus Christ offers us then our choice is to take hold of this 
Take hold of Jesus. Be washed by this detergent. Be clean to the very heart of your being so that all your guilt is done, so that you will be whiter than snow. This is our invitation. Take hold of this. Or if we have taken hold of this in the past, then we are given the choice, as we're holding firm onto this, to stand in this. To stand in this truth with roots deep into it, buried into it. And let this truth define us. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are washed. We are whiter than snow. The acts of our past, the deeds of our past, our current thoughts, our current words, they don't have to define us anymore. They're not who we are anymore. We don't have to distract ourselves from them. We don't have to atone ourselves from them. We don't have to justify them. They can be washed, they're cleansed, they're dealt with, they're done, and we are free. And as free men and women, we can live to serve the living God. We can live the lives he is calling us to live for our flourishing and for our good and for our wholeness. We have this choice to take hold of and to stand in the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us. Let's pray. Oh, dearest God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word, that you speak into the reality of who we are and the reality of the lives we live, that you speak into the the guilt we feel and you offer us hope, a hope foreshadowed in the Old Testament, a hope known and fulfilled and yes and amen in Jesus. I pray, Father God, for all those today who have not accepted Christ as Lord, who have not held on to him and asked for forgiveness. May this be the day where they trust in him and are cleansed by his blood. And I pray for all of us who are here today, Father God, who know this liberating truth. Help us, Father, to stand in it and to be defined by it so the deeds and actions and thoughts of our past may not hang over us but we may walk in freedom and in love and in joy in all that you have done for us in Christ. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, your precious gift of love to us. Amen.